Hello, and welcome to All I Know Is This, a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Richmond, Virginia. My name is Amy Star Redwine. I'm one of the pastors at the church and the host of this podcast. And we are in season two, where our episodes are following our sermon and education series in the fall of 2020. We are doing a series called Can We Talk? Biblical Conversations in Good Faith. And I have been talking to some wonderful folks on the podcast this series, and I'm so excited today to welcome Jess Cook to our podcast. Jess is a graduate of Union Presbyterian Seminary here in Richmond and an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church. I had the privilege of being at Jess's ordination And now Jess is the Program and Communications Manager for More Light Presbyterians, which I'm going to invite Jess to tell us about. But welcome. So glad you're here. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So yeah, I work for More Light Presbyterians. And More Light is an organization that's been around for almost 45 years now Hmm. uh, that, that does work. I would say with and for and by um, LGBTQIA plus people in the church. Um, we, we advocate for full inclusion of LGBTQIA plus people in the life and ministry of the Presbyterian church and also of society. So as you can likely assume over a 45 year history that has looked very different at different points in time. More Light's original origins kind of trace back to a couple of different places, but one of those was at the 1974 General Assembly of mm-hmm. the Presbyterian Church, the United Presbyterian Church was the Northern. Northern, that, yes. Yes. So the United Presbyterian Church, a pastor named David Sint um, stood up on a chair and held up a sign that said, is anyone else out there gay? Hmm. And it was at that point that the denomination kind of realized that that we didn't really know what to say about hmm. now LGBTQI plus people. But at that point, it was gay and lesbian people in the church. So, so there's a longer history where for much of the denominations um, moving through um, the, the process of, of really working through the, the place of LGBTQIA plus people in the leadership of the church, uh, specifically in ordained ministry um, in the church as ministers um, of the word and sacrament, as ruling elders, mm-hmm. also as deacons, mm-hmm. um, which really kind of extends into just like the full life of, of LGBTQI plus people in the church. Right. Um, More light has helped with various things around ordination standards, mm-hmm. conversations around marriage, changing the definition of marriage in the book of order. And a lot of what we do now and what we've done really since I came on in 2017 but even more 2018, um, after General Assembly in 2018 is when we worked on, prior to that, a uh, overtly affirming stance that the mm-hmm. General Assembly adopted around LGBTQI plus people. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what I do from day to day is a lot of education. Uh, so I have a lot of conversations with folks who, who are unsure about what various things may mean or how to... Um, how to approach conversations with LGBTQIA plus folks, parents and pastors alike who who are trying to figure out how to support folks a lot. Mm-hmm. And I also have conversations with a whole lot of LGBTQIA plus people who need support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
often it's pastors as well. Like I have a lot of conversations with pastors who are trying to figure out if they come out in that mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. And I also write liturgy. We do, I both of the full-time positions at More Light are now um, ordained, validated ministries. And mm-hmm. so as we've been more specifically um, ministries in that way, um, you know, we, we write liturgy. So writing a prayer for when someone comes out mm-hmm. or, um, I did a reaffirmation of baptism and a name change liturgy for folks who wanted to mark a new name with their congregation. Nice. Um, and we also preach. Um, so I'm just this week, I'll be doing kind of a virtual pulpit supply where folks can download a sermon from us and um, and then use that, which has been really nice during COVID. So that's a that's a very compressed version of more light <laughs> and of what I do. But but that's, yeah, the very long and short of it. I remembered as you were talking that we were going to have you at First Presbyterian uh, teach yes. last spring. We had that lined up. I think it was in yeah. April. And yep. we hadn't quite gotten it together uh, at that point to figure out how to do that remotely. We're all a lot better at that yeah. now, but um, we're figuring it out. Yeah, we are. So I certainly hope we can reschedule that and think it would be yeah. very valuable for our community because, in part, I so appreciate just the educational piece you do because yeah. sometimes that's really the first step is needing to be able to understand what are these words and terms and definitions yeah. that might be really new to folks, we could probably pull in just about any teenager in our congregation and they could very quickly enlighten us. I know that's who has uh, educated me in my household. Yeah. uh, A lot of the times. I think that's really interesting because I think so in my own experience, prior to More Light, I worked for um, Side by Side here here in Richmond Mm. um, with LGBTQI youth. And, And I think as somebody who I'm 41, and I feel very much between these generations of folks, Mm -hmm. um, where you have folks who are really unsure about language and terminology, and really even how do we think about our gender and our gender identity and our sexual orientation in a way that maybe even like, how do we think about them? And then you've got younger folks who who are sort of like, ugh, I can't believe I can remember a youth at side by side saying, my mom doesn't even get that gender is a social construct. (laughs) So that's still new. To a lot of folks, right. right? So I feel like we do that. I do a whole lot of that conversation because I think even for my, I did, I grew up without knowing a name for my identi- identity. So I identify as non-binary. Mm-hmm. And for me growing up, like there wasn't a term for my identity. So mm-hmm. that, I mean, even more recognizing that like, these are things that are really new to folks. Um, but education is such an important part of acceptance in a way. Yes. Um, and, yes. and, and so it's really nice, I think, just to be able to offer space to folks who who just want to know. And they also want to know that they're safe to ask a question because yeah. it can be scary to not know something. Absolutely. <laughs> well, just the way you've described the work that you do and have done I can tell you've had a lot of experience having hard conversations, so which was yeah. one of the reasons I wanted to to have you as part of this season for our podcast. And you know, I'm just wondering if there's anything you know you can share about what you've learned along the way in terms of how to have these conversations. And you're, of course, doing that among lots of different churches. So for me, I I did not, I grew up in the church, but I didn't really grow up with a real clear sense of call in the way that some folks may have experienced. So I didn't grow up being told like, oh, you'll go to seminary. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I grew up with a very deep sense of call, but without a a lot of clarity about what that looked like. And so for me, when I was in a, a class, and I say that because it was, I audited a class in 2000. 
2009, in the spring of 2009, with, with Dr. Katie Geneva Cannon, mm-hmm. who was the, the matriarch of womanist theological ethics. And I took a number of classes with Dr. Cannon. And in my last year of seminary, I was interning at Side by Side. And, okay. um, and I was taking a class with Dr. Cannon at the same time. And I went in um, interning at Side by Side as the seminary, as the seminary intern, but there hadn't been one of those before. Hmm. But Dr. Cannon's class at the very first day, she asked us to, to identify our community of accountability. So whenever you write or when you speak or when you talk, who are you doing that for? And I kind of wrote about LGBTQI plus youth because mm-hmm. I was working at Side by Side and all of that. And that became a real touchstone because then when I started working at Side by Side um, a few years later, a couple of years later, it was in the fall of 2013. And I went to the first like high school that I was visiting to their GSA, their Gay Straight Alliance. And I was talking to them about side by sides programs and telling them a bit. And I mentioned in passing that I was also that I'd also been to seminary and I was in the process of ordination on the whole. My process was was 10 years long. Um, And that was part a lot of policy changes and things in that time. Um, But at that point, I was I was about three or four years in and I was I was really kind of unsure about whether ordained ministry was was the path. I think in large part because I think seminary educated lay leadership is really powerful and a really important part of a congregation. Mm-hmm. And I also just realistically wasn't sure about what that meant in terms mm-hmm. of validated ministry or ordained ministry. So I mentioned to these to these students that I had um, that I'd been to seminary. So if anybody had questions about things they'd heard in the Bible and LGBTQIA <laughs> people then um, they, they could ask. And it was afterward that one of the students came up to me and asked me just straight up, like, am I going to hell? That was a real pivot for me because it was that moment when that experience of community of accountability became really very real mm-hmm. in a way, right? And I realized at that point that I could get over my own sort of self enough in a way that I could move forward in the process because it's important to know that it's possible, right? I hear so many women who are ministers talking about what it meant for them to be like to see a woman preaching for the first time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, to this day, have heard one sermon by a trans person other than myself. And that was a year ago. So I was 40 before I ever heard a trans person preach. So the youth were a really big part of of that. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, as I was moving throughout the process, there were times when it was really just difficult, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I could almost hear at those times, there's, there's one particular person who, who I feel like I can go ahead and just claim, um, but was Izzy Rogers, who was a pastor. She taught at Union Presbyterian Seminary for a really long time. She was a a moderator of the PCUSA at a time and was also never out. And she died Uh in 2007. Um, And there were times for me when I was ready to sort of throw in the towel and it was Izzy Rogers voice, which I never heard in real Mm -hmm. life, but like I would hear in my voice saying, now hold up. Like I didn't have the chance Mm. or the opportunity to choose whether to be out and to live into my call. Mm -hmm. So why don't you put on your big kid pants? (laughs) Because you can do this. But I think those two generations, like being between, I think for me in my sense of call, but I think even more as I go into conversations that are difficult, Mm -hmm. um, I find myself, it's a lot easier to step into those conversations because I know that it's not just me. I'm not on the line. My idea. Right. But I feel like I feel really grateful to have those to have those generations in front of and behind me in Mm -hmm. a way just to because it makes it a lot easier to have 
conversations. Yeah, um, definitely. Well, yeah. I so appreciate that, Jess, and thank you for for sharing all of that. And I think that's a great segue to the passage that we're going to talk about today and that I am preaching on um, this coming Sunday. And as I shared with you uh, before we started recording, this passage was new to me. It is not in our lectionary, which are the passages that are kind of laid out over three years. And if you follow them, the ideas you preach through the Bible. Um, But there's a lot that's left out of that, as we were talking about. And this story is one of them. So I'm just going to put a stake down here and say, I want a new lectionary and I want this story in it among some others. Absolutely. But this story comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 27, verses 1 through 11. And the book of Numbers, we call Numbers in English um, in part because there are two chapters, chapter 1 and chapter 26, that are devoted to taking a census of the Israelite people. And this is after they've escaped slavery in Egypt and they're wandering in the wilderness on their 40-year journey to the promised land. There was a census at the beginning, and then there's a whole lot of stuff that happens, including a lot of people who die for all sorts of different reasons, including at one point there's a rebellion against the leaders, Moses and Aaron, and the belief that the people who were part of that rebellion die. But there's also like disease and some other things that, that happen. And so there's another census taken in chapter 26. At the beginning of chapter 27, we get five sisters. Initially, they're identified like many women are as the daughters of their father, uh, whose name is Zelophehad. But actually, they ultimately get named, which is something pretty special in the Bible for women. So we get the names of these five sisters, and together, they come before Moses and before um, the other leaders, which whom we know can assume were all men and one of the priests. And the congregation, so they're all sort of in front of this tent where they meet together and they they share that their father died in the wilderness. Um, they specify that he was not one of those who died because he was part of the rebellion against Moses and Aaron. He died of, I guess, natural causes, but he had no sons. They had no brothers. Part of the reason those census were taken is also to think about who gets land, who, in, who gets land, who inherits land. And at that point, only sons could inherit land from their uh, families, from their fathers, who were the landowners. And what these women say is, why should the name of their father be taken away because he had no son? Give to us a possession among our father's brothers. So even though we we don't have brothers, give us the, the land that would have gone to our brothers if we had them. And what happens is Moses takes their case before the Lord and the Lord says to Moses, they're right. They should get the they should inherit the land. And then God says to Moses should be part of the law that if a man dies and has no sons, his inheritance should go to his daughters. So it's a pretty remarkable story. Uh, again, I'm sorry, I'm coming to this story so late in life. <laughs> um, but I I really love a couple of things that happen here and and want to hear your take on this as well but certainly and it you know reminds me of what you just said that when you are entering some of these conversations you are sort of both propelled forward but also strengthened by this sense of the people who have sort of gone ahead of you and stand behind you and I think the fact that there were five sisters is really important here because if there was one you can kind of imagine it might have been a lot harder 
for one person to go and stand up before Moses and the priest and the whole, all the leaders and the whole congregation. But also, I love this little word, why. Why should the name of our father be taken away because he had no son? And I've been giving some thought in sermon preparation to that. What a wonderful word that is and how it is often the first word that propels us to moving things forward, especially when injustice is being done, is Mm -hmm. to actually stop and ask, why are we doing it this way? So just a a couple of initial thoughts, but I, I would love to hear your take on this. I love that too. Um, So names are really important, as you just mentioned in the Bible. So I think also, I would love to also look and see what the names mean. So this is also Mm. a passage that I haven't dived into. So it's new to me as well, which I think is also just really interesting because I think we, like the Daughters of Zalofahad is an organization in Richmond even, you know, and I think Mm. it's like, there's been plenty of opportunity. So I'm also just realizing how much the lectionary shapes my under like shapes what what I hear right and and in a way that I think is just naming just and affirming like yes for a new lectionary where we expand stories that are maybe difficult otherwise but I think we need to hear I think our our tendency to not bring things into our sanctuaries Mm -hmm. has actually um, really correlated to our our difficulty in engaging one another I think particularly through conflict because we if we don't know how to have conflict in, in church um, or in our faith community, then it gets really difficult to engage in conflict where we don't actually have a grounding in the way that we do, hopefully, in, in our church community. Mm-hmm. But they're also a really big part of trans folks' experiences mm-hmm. um, and um, in terms of, of naming. So I think that I'm just naming that, that like claiming one's name um, and, and the passage in John on Easter Sunday when Mary is in the garden and she's mm-hmm. so lost in her grief that she doesn't know Jesus is Jesus until yeah. he says her name. Yes, yeah. And my own experience, Jacob becoming Israel after mm-hmm. wrestling with God and that like names are so powerful in a way. And, and so I love that the names are given. So when I read this story, I also think about the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts, because the why should the name of our father be taken away feels so similar to the question of what is to keep me from being baptized in this way that it is like being able to claim and to know one's own narrative so clearly that when you ask that question, you're asking a question and it's almost rhetorical where it's like, um, and I think that, that even the power here of saying like, it's not just a name, but it's also a possession. So it's like, why is the name of our father taken away? Give to us a possession. Like Mm. that those things don't actually function without one another, I think is really powerful. But I think it's that there is something, I mean, I know for, for me, the folks who have taught me the most about really how to understand, I think grace in particular, but I think even more have invited me to have a fuller relationship with God, I think are the folks who have been told that they don't actually have a space within a faith community or that they don't actually Mm. can't be seen by God. So Mm. like, and by that, I mean, the folks who I know, it's not just LGBTQIA plus folks, but I think Mm. there's, that's particular um, of the experience of being told that your identity is incompatible with a relationship with God, Mm. right? That the experience of being told that who you are doesn't jive 
you cannot have a relationship with God if you are this, right? right. And the the people I know who have, and, and I would say this about my own experience as well, in that where I am now, I feel like I have a much deeper faith than I ever really maybe did in a way in terms of like, like I, I still wrestle with my own worthiness. I think mm -hmm. that's a thing that we all wrestle with, mm -hmm. but I, I, for me, I still wrestle with it, but I actually, it's not around whether or not my identity is the thing in a way that is different. And I, I feel like the folks who I know who have taught me about like there's there, I think there's a process of almost being like invited to see your belovedness in a way. And I can remember very clearly when Dr. Blunt was teaching New Testament, we talked about this passage in um, Mark two with the, the paralytic and the friends who lift him, lift him mm -hmm. up. And, um, mm -hmm. and I don't know what it was about that, or if it was about the, the lecture, there was something, but there was a point when I started to realize that I actually had a place in scripture mm. um, that wasn't just among the damned, right? That I, I could actually engage. And, and there was this really beautiful, liberating, community-minded scripture in this. This is what this is. This is yeah. this beautiful. And in a way that I think there's something about the process of really um, not taking for granted that it's mm -hmm. assumed. Mm -hmm. That's a really powerful work of, of liberation. And I think in this text in particular, that yeah. shows up because they're like, well, no. and I think what's amazing, yeah. and it happens here, but what you just said about the Gospel of Mark just made me realize that the consistency with which this happens in Scripture, which makes it all the right. more amazing that it's been so hard for the church and um, not any one particular church, but the right. church as an institution over the centuries to be open to people who are other in some right. way that we've defined it as other. Because really, if you think about the number of people that Jesus heals, right. who have to come to him and sort of advocate for themselves and ask for healing, because the church has shut them out precisely because of what it is they are suffering from. Um, yeah. Whether that is an identity, you know, in the case of people who are the tax collectors or the prostitutes or people whose, you know, sort of professions have put them out or whether it's a, an illness that is has deemed made them unclean. And of course, we see that in Acts. I mean, really, Acts is all about the spirit sort of expanding our understanding. And I, I would really put this text in numbers right alongside those where we yeah. have this people who are who their identities has left them out in a way yeah. that they have identified as as not being just and what's remarkable to me is how quickly god responds in the text to moses like yeah, yeah. they're exactly right and yeah you need to not do it this way. And of course, just baked into the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, are a lot of these laws that do make it very clear who's in and who's out. Of course, many of those are laws that Jesus seemed to really work to overturn. And I'm not sure that, that you know the church initially really got that lesson. <laughs> We're right. still figuring it out. Well, and I think that's it, because I think that um, I think that's a really important thing to lift up, because I think also when you talk about the the experience of the the Israelites, I think particularly the ways in which their experience of enslavement and then liberation mm -hmm. of then being taken from their land and removed from their land. So the diaspora and how that functioned, they were outsiders by and large, right. except in those parts where they weren't. But a lot of the scriptures that you have at that point is cautionary in mm -hmm. a way. So do you remember, did you ever read um, 
the story, the, the children's story, uh, You're Special. It's a Max Lucado oh, book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have right. that book. Read it right. to my Okay, kids. so, yeah. So, you know, the story is Punchinello has all the dots, yes. right? And he's, he meets somebody who doesn't have any dots or stars. And then he goes and sees Eli, right? Yeah. And so then he starts to believe that Eli, that he really is lovable, right? And that first mm-hmm. little dot sticker falls out. Yeah. And what gets me every time I read that story and what's kind of heartbreaking is that the people with all the stars don't recognize that they also need to go see Eli. Yes. So when we're talking about here, we're talking about possessions and land, Mm -hmm. right? And those things that come, right? But none of that is about whether or not they are in, in terms of their belovedness, right? Right. But privilege so often has a way of blinding us or letting us think that like, we've got it Mm -hmm. in a way that I think can be really a stumbling block, you know, like, well, and it it matches so much. I just want to connect to what you said before about your own faith journey and sort of coming to a place of really deeper, you know, sense of faith. And yes, you still struggle with worthiness, which is, I think, a pretty universal struggle, I would say. But there are different ways that we come at that struggle. And I think at different times in our life, and it sounds like that struggle for you now is more in the universal sense of the human struggle to feel that we are worthy and beloved versus the struggle of feeling that because of a particular thing about yourself that you may have picked up along the way isn't okay or isn't or makes you unworthy. I think in the where we are in the world right now, there are so many folks who are recognizing that the way that I've experienced the world or that folks have experienced the world has actually been a very curated Mm -hmm. process in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. right? That Mm -hmm. the things were good or bad. And it's a lot more nuanced, right? In a way than we're realizing. And I feel like that experience, I think, especially for people who who have more privilege just by their identities, right? Mm -hmm. And I say white folks Mm -hmm. in particular that we're talking about this right now. Um, So often folks are like, it's like really not being able to to see this thing that you realize has been happening Mm -hmm. all along, right? But it's like, I don't know what to do. And even more, I don't know what to do with the feelings that are coming up for me. And and how do I not just throw up my hands altogether, right? And it's like, we can do this, but it's recognizing that the way that we've we've been taught to see the world has been incomplete. And so like, right. we, you know, like there's an expansiveness there, but but it's real hard because we yeah. start to see this. And I don't know what to do with that. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. That, that certainly speaks to this moment that we're in. And I think these daughters of Zalofa had had that yeah. role in their community of sort of yeah taking the blinders off and helping people, um, particularly the leaders, to recognize this injustice in their midst. This conversation makes me so very grateful for the work that you are doing and for the conversations that you are having. And I look forward Mm -hmm. to having you at First Prez to have some of these conversations. I want to make sure that folks know that we are putting some information in the show notes. We've got a flyer, what I think might be helpful for some of our folks about what non-binary means and understanding gender identity. Also, we'll put some information about Side by Side, which is a a wonderful resource in our community. And you are a wonderful resource in our community. I'm hopeful that if if people did have further questions, that they it's great that they know you're here and hopefully could contact you. And I am certainly here for that conversation as well. And just incredibly 
grateful for you, Jess. Thank you yeah. for talking Thank you very to much, me Andy. today. And yeah. uh, grateful for our listeners. We will continue to do what we do, both in church and online. You can find out all sorts of information at fpcrichmond.org. And thanks for listening.